Hey everyone, it's Ramon and welcome to the Human Optimization Podcast, science-based tools to optimize your physiology, master your mind, and unlock your potential. And in this episode, I chat with Dr. John Arden. John is the author of 15 books, including Brain to Brain, The Brain Bible, and Rewire Your Brain. His new book is entitled Mind, Brain, Gene, Towards Psychotherapy Integration. He recently retired from Kaiser Permanente, where he served as the Northern California Regional Director of Training, where he developed one of the largest mental health training programs in the United States. In this capacity, he oversaw more than 150 interns and postdoctoral psychology residents in 24 medical centers. John's study of neuropsychology has inspired him to integrate neuroscience and psychotherapy, synthesizing the biological and psychological into a new vision for psychotherapy a brain-based therapy, which he has presented in all US states and 27 countries. And in this episode, John and I talk about his SEEDS formula. The SEEDS formula represents the important healthy brain factors that you need to plant now and cultivate through the rest of your life. Now, before we get into the episode, a quick word from our sponsor, Brain First, earth-grown, evidence-based nutrition. One of the products that I love and I take every workday to fire up my brain and get laser-like focus and interflow quickly is Genius Mode. Now, it took me years of research and testing to formulate Genius Mode for Brain First because I was sick of having dozens of bottles and powders to have to mix together all the different ingredients to give me the effect that I wanted. So Genius Mode has the best science-backed ingredients for peak mental performance in meaningful doses supported by experimental data. I personally take it shortly after I wake up And the focus and the drive and the motivation and the mental clarity lasts me all day. Now to get Genius Mode, use code RAMON for 10% off in addition to any other subscription discounts that you get on the Brain First website. Just head to mybrainfirst.com and you'll see a bunch of reviews from other people who are absolutely loving this product. Mybrainfirst.com, code RAMON for 10% off and get your brain an instant upgrade. Let's get into the episode. Enjoy, my friends. Uh, Quite a few years ago when I was really getting into the neuroscience, I had just started my uh, master's degree and one of the things that I found interesting and frustrating was the neuroscience literature. Absolutely fascinating. I really enjoyed digging into what was going on in the brain, but a little frustrated that there wasn't enough practical application. And two of your books, uh, The Brain Bible, and I can't remember what the other one's called. I think it's uh, Rewire Your Brain. Uh, They were were two of the, the first few books that were on my shelf that really inspired me to get into figuring out how to apply this neuroscience in a really practical way. So it is actually really cool that many years later, because I had no idea that the podcast was happening and we'd be launching a magazine and all that. It's really cool that a few years later uh, that you're on the show. So welcome and thanks very much for being here. Oh, I'm very happy to be here. And in fact, it's very gratifying to hear that those two books uh, stimulated some interest. And, and in fact, what I was trying to do is reach a broad audience and bring it all down to earth and not talking a lot of overly esoteric terms to people, but rather make it practical. 
uh, and make it part of a person's life so they can improve their lives. Yeah, and, and it certainly did that. And it gave me hope that there was uh, a way of being able to apply neuroscience in a very practical, uh, real world kind of way. And one of the aims of Brain First is to do exactly that, to translate the neuroscience. And one of the models that I that I really like uh, of yours is the the seeds model or the seeds formula. Can you talk? And so, uh, in this episode, I'd really like to dive into the seeds model so that we can give the listeners some practical things that they can implement uh, straight away to really improve the quality of their life, knowing that this is drawn from neuroscience. This comes from a, a very thorough understanding of the brain. So can you talk a little bit about, first of all, what the SEEDS model is and, and how it came to be? Sure. So like you, um, I've been um, uh, trying to explore what are the, uh, the main factors in terms of uh, keeping yourself uh, focused and happy and healthy and, and enjoying your life. And um, it appears that at the very least, there are five factors that are all over the research literature, all over all the, um, um, the books, you could say, on healthcare in general. Uh, and those five factors are encoded in the mnemonic seeds. Now, why have a mnemonic called seeds? Well, frankly, People need to remember what those five factors are. So mnemonics are easy kind of tricks uh, for a person to use uh, so they can remember uh, what they are. And in fact, the, the term seeds, you could say, uh, is, a, is a practical one in that a person needs to not only plant them, but cultivate them over their whole lifetime to yield good success whether or not they're a business person or just you and I out here trying to learn and have a, have a decent life and everything. If you plant and cultivate seeds on a regular basis, those five healthy factors, then you're going to actually not age as quickly. You're not going to develop dementia as quickly. Uh, you're not going to develop uh, depression and anxiety as quickly. So what are the five factors? So again, there are five factors encoded in the word seeds. So they are, uh, social, exercise, education, diet, and sleep. Now, each one of these need to be part of the others. In other words, you can't just say, well, geez, I got one, uh, you know, give me a break. You know, I'll get to the others later. Uh, no, they are all interrelated. And in fact, you were moan and you're doing research on, you know, sleep hygiene factors, for example. And you well know that the other factors are uh, very uh, strongly associated with good quality sleep. And so what we're talking about here is cultivating all five factors on a regular basis and ensuring that you get your daily dose. Um, and uh, each one of these uh affect your gene expression, in fact, even down to the level of the telomeres. The telomeres are the caps on the ends of your chromosomes, and if they shrink too quickly, you're going to age more quickly. So what we're really talking about is health and the foundation of health. So it's a very holistic approach and something that uh, you actually cover quite a bit in your new book, which uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about towards the end of the show. 
So for our listeners, if you're a a coach or a therapist or if you're in the helping professions, you want to stick around in this episode because we're going to be uh, diving into the new book a little bit later in the show uh, and we'll be talking about some of the things that are a little bit more relevant to people that are helping others uh, to improve the quality of their life, to have better brain health and better mental health and things of that nature. So let's uh, let's dive into each of the different areas in this in this model. And of course, because it's a holistic approach, you wouldn't necessarily say that one is significantly more important than another. Uh, they all work to support each other. But what would be a good place to start? What would be something that if if one of our listeners is thinking about, okay, I want to improve my brain health, I want to improve the quality of my life overall. Uh, maybe I'm I'm a little bit of a mess at the moment and I just need to up level. I need to make a bit of a change. Where's a really good place to start? Well, let, let's take um, um, movement, uh, for example. Uh, so exercise uh, is fundamental to our biology. Uh, and let's put it in an evolutionary perspective. Uh, for most of our uh, existence, roughly until about 11,000 years ago, we were hunter-gatherers. So we move roughly about 10 miles a day. And there are very few of us that move 10 miles a day right now, unless we're in a car or, or you know, subway or, or whatever. And so moving 10 miles a day or perhaps 15 kilometers a day, wherever you are, um, is critical. Uh, why? Because we evolved in part by doing that. And that has a lot to do with our metabolism, gene expression. And, um, and in fact, we know that not doing a regular dose of exercise, a cardio boost is actually more detrimental than smoking. So let me just quote the world health organization that, as you well know, that, you know, when they do reports, they're, they're reviewing records of a couple hundred thousand people. So when uh, a study includes a couple hundred thousand people, I'm really paying attention. (laughs) And they suggested that not exercising on a regular basis is worse than smoking. Very very consistent with the current cliche, and the current cliche is sitting is the new smoking. (laughs) And so if you think in terms of movement as part of the foundation for your metabolism, and in terms of uh, increasing your your uh, uh, your metabolic rate, increasing your capacity of your brain to focus, uh, increasing the release of these various brain chemicals we call neurotransmitters or neurohormones, kind of the cornucopia of brain chemistry that keeps you uh, focused and up and uh, optimistic and uh, goal directed. Without the exercise, you don't have any of that. And so where do you start? Just get up off the couch. <laughs> and if you're a person that sits in an office uh, a lot, and I did, uh, you know, a good 40 years of that as a psychologist, um, you know, I sat and I talked to people uh, in addition to being a director and, and so on. I still, when I was an ed- administrator, I sat and talked to people all the time. Well, I made it a regular daily practice that sometimes even between seeing patients, I'd get a cardio boost 
Yeah, I ran out of the office, down, up and down trails and hills and everything. I, then I'd sit back down again and my my heart rate would be up and everything. And, and I'd be so much more focused. So where do you start? You start by just getting up and moving. Mm-hmm. I think one of the, the things coming from a, uh, a health and fitness background almost 20 years ago now it, that strikes me is that we don't need to sell exercise to people that are already exercising. They love to hear about some of the benefits to brain health, how to maybe improve slightly, maybe where they need to periodize their training so they're balancing the uh, rest and recovery with the training element. I'm a little bit more concerned about the people that hear that uh, there are many benefits to moving the body and exercising all the time that still don't do something. So how do we get people that aren't moving to move? Yeah, that's an v- excellent point. And um, uh, uh, w- that's why I put it in the, the perspective of the walk. Uh, I, because uh, a lot of us, you and I, uh, and our colleagues and friends. I mean, we, we certainly believe in it. We do it on a regular basis. You don't have to convince us at all. And you and I study it. And we, of course, we're, we're totally convinced. But how about those people that generally uh, exist in a kind of a sedentary lifestyle? Uh, well, they need to be convinced that it's fundamental to uh, their brain health and their body health. And it, how quickly do you want to die? I mean, really? Well, a lot of times even that picture isn't enough because a lot of people say, well, that's so far off in the future. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I'll get to it at some point. Well, th- another big question really is how uh, how positive about your life do you want to be? And how clear thinking do you want to be? Uh, And so those two factors are immediate. And so mood and cognition. In other words, clarity of thought and you're you're feeling positive about your life. Those are two immediate, immediate uh, benefits to movement. And so instead of this deferred until later sort of idea uh, that we can all do. I mean, we all procrastinate. Every one of us procrastinates. And it's easier to procrastinate when you think that the costs are down the line instead of now. And so that's why I always put it in in the immediate frame. You know, how clear thinking do you want to be now? What do you want your mood to be like now? And you're, in a sense, painting yourself into a corner if you don't buy into that reality. You know, that that basically you can do something about your clarity of thought at the at this moment and also uh, your capacity to generate a positive mood. Mm, I can certainly attest to that. It, it's my it's my go to when I've been sitting down, I'm working on solving a problem and maybe I'm getting a little bit frustrated with it or I'm just uh, um, I'm not feeling overly productive and I want to clear my head. I want to boost my mood. I want that mental clarity. 20-minute walk does it every single time. Exactly. It's incredible. And I, I think it's, as you said before, I mean, it's free. You can do it anywhere and you can do it right now, which brings it into the now, it brings the benefits into the now as well. Exactly. You know, uh, this morning uh, I, I sat here 
And I was reading this uh, very interesting article, but it was quite dense. It was all on gene expression and and um, uh, those kinds of uh, factors in this uh, uh, very exciting field called epigenetics. And frankly, it was so dense that I was having a hard time focusing. And um, uh, I it was raining outside, so I couldn't go, you know, get a aerobic boost. So I did 150 push-ups. Wow. <laughs> Just to get that. Uh, but I didn't do them all at one time. I could only do 50 at a time. <laughs> but each time I did it, I, I was able to at least get another page or two. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'd find myself dragging a little bit again, so I'd do it again. And that's despite a, a good breakfast. We'll talk about diet and my double espresso. <laughs> uh, but it was the push-ups that kind of helped me um, uh, focus and uh, at least – for a while. Mm -mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've never been able to understand the idea that people don't like exercise. You may not like the exercise per se, but what about the feeling, the change in, in mood and state and the brain chemistry, the endorphins when you push yourself with things like push-ups? How can you not enjoy that? <laughs> it just feels great. Yeah, it's immediate. It's immediate. You don't have to wait for the positive. Mm -hmm. So for our, our exercises, uh, our people that move regularly already, of course, keep it up. There are so many brain benefits uh, and it, just for overall health and for longevity and for our non-exercises, something that you can do straight away. Just go for a walk. Find a, a nice little route somewhere. Go for a 20-minute walk. In, in fact, let me just say that from a psychological perspective, um, exercise has been proven to be the best antidepressant that we have. It's better than psychotherapy. It's better than antidepressant medication. And it's better than psychotherapy and antidepressant medication combined. Combined. Mm -hmm. What's, uh, what's next in the model? So we're, we're moving more. If we're not an exerciser, we're now going out for a walk. That's fairly that's fairly straightforward, something that people can uh, get started with. What's the next thing that we should tackle? Well, we're going to jump around in the, in the mnemonic. Uh, so let's pick um, uh, something also so fundamental uh, to your biology. Uh, well, they all are, in fact. But, but uh, uh, I mentioned breakfast earlier, you know, eating a breakfast and, and so on. So let's talk about diet. And the reason why I want to address diet so quickly here. Uh, the D in the seeds, is that we are now suffering a pandemic of, uh, of obesity, of autoimmune disorders, of uh, this uh, catastrophe awaiting us in the future because of the baby boomers are getting older. And, and with a, a large group of us, and I'm part of that group, uh, we're going to see far more uh, uh, people with various types of dementia. And so diet is fundamental to this larger picture. Each one of the seeds elements is. But I, I, I do want to address the diet aspect. Why? Because we're eating a lot of things that are already digested for you. And what I mean by that is uh, people eat a lot of simple carbohydrates. And so let me just pick out some very simple things to watch for. Uh, eating simple carbohydrates, and I'm not just talking about sugar, I'm talking about white flour, white rice, um, things that are already stripped of their nutrients, um, turn into glucose too quickly. 
and as a result of that, actually create all sorts of metabolic problems in your body and your brain. And so what happens there? Well, you develop all sorts of difficulties thinking clearly. You develop all sorts of difficulties generating this cornucopia of neurotransmitters that keep your brain focused and positive and everything. And then if you, in addition to eating simple carbohydrates, you fry it in hot vegetable oil. And, you know, where you're sitting, uh, you know, uh, fish and chips are really popular. Uh, mm -hmm. So if you, uh, if you eat, consume a lot of trans fatty acids, and really I'm talking about various types of fried foods, and, and some of them aren't that obvious, uh, but uh, if you combine simple carbohydrates and uh, trans fatty acids, in other words, fried foods, you have major destructive damage to your brain. But not just to your brain, but to all aspects of your body. You turn on your immune system inappropriately uh, and you create this chronic inflammatory process. And chronic inflammation tears down your brain, tears down your body, accelerates the process I was describing earlier that uh, paves the way for dementia, but also uh, creates this, this very blue mood. And so a lot of people, and I, I would say that in, in your country, in Australia, not as bad as the United States, but getting close. It's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, you're getting close. But we have at least half, if not three quarters of the population that are overweight. So let me say a few things about extra fat cells. Well, extra fat cells, now here we're talking about not moving much with the exercise and the, in the eating a lot of junk. So you load up on extra fat cells. Now, extra fat cells now leach out these, I'm going to throw out a complicated term, but uh, it, it's pro-inflammatory cytokines, but basically you create a chronic inflammatory process. Bad news for your brain, bad news for your body. So in other words, you can't think clearly and you feel kind of ill, but you're really not. So if at least half the population of our two respective countries are suffering from that problem. And again, I said at least half, if not three quarters, are suffering from that problem. Shouldn't we be addressing that right away? So what that causes is lack of clarity of thought and blue moods and more susceptibility to stressors. In other words, less resiliency, Let's say you're a, a, a corporate exec and you, you're juggling many balls at the same time. How many balls can you uh, juggle? Well, actually, maybe one, and it hits you on the head all the time. <laughs> and uh, basically what we're talking about is the destruction of your body and your brain through inability to move and to eat uh, a healthy um uh, diet. What is a healthy diet? Well, you know, you could say in general, it's been conceptualized to be roughly the Mediterranean diet or the Okinawan diet, which is built around uh, uh, basically vegetables and fruit and complex carbohydrates and uh, protein, not as much, but uh, to, to uh, uh, some degree. And if you look at the blue zones across the planet, where the people are, um, you know, living uh, above 100 years old, uh, they are ba basically uh, practicing either the Mediterranean or the the uh, uh, Okinawan diet. And 
one of the other things is that, of course, we're not short of diets. There's a new diet coming out you know, every other week. People jump on what, what's one of the recent ones, uh, the, the meat diet, which seems to be more of an elimination diet than anything else. People are saying, oh, I've got all these wonderful results on eating just meat. I am a principles guy. I don't follow any strict um, diet. I take bits and pieces from different diets that I might like, ideas, and bring them into trying to create some basic principles. And I think that's one of the problems that exist is this idea of, you know, what diet do I follow? Um, and, and with yo-yo dieters, they chop and change and they can ruin their meta metabolic rate yeah. um, by shifting from high carbohydrate, low fat to high fat, no carbohydrate. Like it's just, it's crazy and it's all over the place. What are some, what are some principles that, that people can just have in mind when they're making decisions about what to eat? I've got this plate in front of me. What do I put on it so that it's not confusing, so that I don't have to um, think too much about it, but it's going to be of benefit to my brain and to my health overall and my future? What are some ideas? Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you, you talked about the, um, the so-called yo-yo phenomenon where one week it's this and one week it's that. And I, I quoted the World Health Organization earlier, like to quote it again, again, why? Because big population studies are more convincing than the latest fad. And big meta-analysis studies are very convincing as well. In other words, studies of studies. So we're, we have to look at big numbers. Of course, we have some, in, some variation among us and everything, but the broad-based ideas are these, that uh, if you eat more vegetables, uh, um, in other words, the, the vegetable matter in your, in your diet has to be the greatest quantity. And then you add in, uh, the complex carbohydrates. Remember I was downing simple carbohydrates earlier. Well, then you have all these fad people out there saying carbs are bad. Well, complex carbs, come on now. Uh, you know, in fact, vegetables have carbs. And uh, lagoons have carbs. And so we're really talking whole grains. And, and, uh, uh, but uh, uh, eating whole grains or complex carbs on top of the vegetables, in other words, the vegetables, the, the greater quantity, complex carbs, the lesser quantity, but still important because you get a lot of energy, sustained energy, not quickly manufactured energy, and then you have some protein on top of that. Well, protein sparingly. Uh, I know there are all these paleo diets out there and everything else, but I mean, you know, let's wait a, a few years to see how that all pans out. Another big uh, uh, perhaps uh, fad out there, but we do know that people that live longer are those people that adhere to the diet I just mentioned. That should be a convincing comment. So uh, just going back to some, some, some principles. So you're saying that you're suggesting that uh, if people are confused, if they're not sure um, what to do, the Okinawan or Mediterranean is a great place to start. It's a great template that they can apply. It's fairly straightforward. 
It's, uh, I mean, it's based around whole foods, lots of vegetables, a moderate amount of protein, uh, some good fats in there as well, of course. Oh, absolutely. I'm glad you mentioned that. Critical. And we're really uh, been running short of that in recent years, especially in that we've been uh, adding in uh, uh, bad fats. And so uh, at the expense of omega-3, you know, we've been uh, shooting up our consumption of omega-6 and, and uh, so on. And so and then trans fats have really destabilized the whole balance entirely anyway. So good fats. Absolutely. So we're, we're moving more now. We're starting to eat a little healthier. We're probably feeling a lot better. Uh, we've got a bit more mental clarity. We know that it's going to be of benefit to us in 10, 20 years from now, uh, which is something that I that I always try and encourage people to think like, yes, you can feel good now. You're also building your 40-year-old brain, your 50-year-old brain, your 60 and 70 and 80-year-old brain. What do you want that to be like? And thinking about that now, because things can take some time to have an, uh, an impact, but I'm always thinking about, uh, you know, what am I going to be like when I'm 50 and 60 and 70 and 80? And I want to start making those changes right now. And you want to you want to have some benefits right now as well. And that's why we're talking about the immediate benefit. Mm. And so uh, let's talk about uh, the three other seeds factors. And uh, um, <clears throat> let's take the two S's, uh, social and sleep. Uh, well, in fact, uh, let's take the sleep uh, first. Uh, because you've been studying it, doing some research on it. Uh, if you don't get those two other ones that we were just talking about, the uh, the exercise and diet, your sleep's going to be all rotten. And in fact, what you eat in the evening has a major effect on your capacity to uh, generate the neurochemistry to sleep. Uh, and in fact, if you eat too many simple carbohydrates or, or whatever, uh, then you're going to destroy that capacity to uh, regulate your circadian rhythm. So what are some of the main sleep hygiene uh, uh, factors? Well, you well know, Ramon, as a result of uh, studying uh, sleep hygiene, uh, that there are a number of things that uh, we all need to not do, <laughs> and we, there are a number of things we need to do. Uh, so let's talk about some of the things we don't want to do. Um, and uh, let me start with uh, something that we, in 2019, all seem to do a whole lot of, and that's what you and I are doing right now is we're looking at a computer screen. Mm -hmm. We're looking straight at and our retina is picking up that light. And uh, that signal goes to our pineal gland that will secrete or not secrete this uh, circadian rhythm neurohormone called melatonin. And so if you're looking at a computer screen late at night, you're literally tricking your brain to think that it's daytime outside instead of nighttime outside. So a lot of people, especially um, folks that spend a whole lot of screen time on social media and all that, have a tendency to actually create not only insomnia, but also uh, disrupt their, their uh, sleep architecture. So there's no one thing called sleep. Uh, we have a standard uh, uh, sleep architecture. We have slow wave sleep and, and REM sleep and, and variations between. And what we're doing in, in recent years is decreasing the amount of slow wave sleep, uh, partly by what I was just talking about, uh, but also by many sleep depressors. 
And so we've got a variety of sleep depressors out there that we would need to eliminate, and many of them are prescribed. Uh, so I'm thinking uh, in terms of the uh, benzodiazepines, uh, drugs, which are, I call them the garbage of the healthcare system. I'm talking about Valium and Ativan and Clonopin and Xanax and, and so on. Uh, they contribute to a reduction in slow wave sleep. They also uh, reduce the amount of uh, clarity the next day. And uh, uh, let me just throw in a couple other substances before we get into the cost of losing slow wave sleep. Benadryl is available on an over-the-counter basis. And you'll see that in Excedrin PM and Tylenol PM and all that. And it turns out, again, big population studies have, have found that people that consume either of these two substances, the, the Benadryl-like substances or the benzodiazepine-like substances, contribute to dementia later in their life. And the cognitive fog and, and so on. So why is that the case? Well, there's a very critical uh, a aspect to sleep. And so um, I, I'm going to get sound like I'm getting a little technical here, but there are white matter and, and gray matter cells in your in your brain. And so um, there are these glial cells, you know, sort of the white matter cells that are more plentiful than the gray matter than the neurons. And if you get good quality sleep architecture, your glial cells actually shrink a little bit to allow the passage of these various uh, um, substances that you don't want to accumulate too much in your brain, like beta amyloid and other substances. And so now you can see how people over a, a lifetime, if they consume some of these substances that decrease the glyphamic system's capacity to wash out toxic substances can contribute to dementia later on. Well, again, here we're talking about something later on and a person might say, well, yeah, that's fine, but uh, you know, I want to I want to sleep and I'm tired of tossing and turning and, and everything else. Uh, so what do we, what do we find? Well, a lot of people that good, that don't get good quality sleep end up feeling pretty exhausted in the morning. Right. And so they do all sorts of things to provide them with more energy, uh, consuming various stimulants and, uh, you know, my favorite drug, uh, espresso, or <laughs> uh, but, we also know that if you consume anything after noon, you're screwing up the sleep architecture. So after noon, you've got to stop any kind of stimulant, um, uh, mate tea or green tea or, or various types of uh, caffeine or whatever, including alcohol in the evening, which also decreases slow wave sleep. Uh, so uh, now, what do you do about all this? Well, uh, as you well know, and you're, you're exploring various sleep hygiene techniques, uh, uh, let me just add a, uh, throw in a few um, main uh, concepts that uh, aren't necessarily discussed as much as they should. A lot of it has to do with body temperature. So in other words, if your body temperature is too high, you can get to sleep, you know, all cuddly in your duvet or, or whatever, but you may not stay asleep. And in fact, your sleep latency is all messed up. 
So you're more likely to wake up in the middle of the night and have a hard time getting back to sleep. Uh, so you got to sleep cool, stay cool as much as possible. Sure, you can get to sleep, but staying asleep is the critical aspect, and you want to be able to maximize the slow-wave sleep, meaning the, the early portion of your sleep cycle. Uh, so fresh air as much as possible, you can crack the window open, uh, not have too many covers on you, and, and so on. Very critical uh, to this overall process. Now, a couple other things real quickly, if I could just rattle off a few more things. Um, if you do wake up in the middle of the night, uh, and many of us do, uh, you know, to go up and go to the bathroom and uh, whatever, what you say to yourself when you are now trying to go back to sleep has a major effect on your capacity to do that. So a lot of uh, uh, people in the so-called CBT uh, sleep hygiene um, area have been talking about so-called negative sleep thoughts. Um, and so what are negative sleep thoughts? Well, as soon as you start getting upset that you haven't been back to sleep or you're looking at the clock, you know, I'm going to be ruined tomorrow. Oh, my God. I, you know, I'm going to be a miserable idiot and, and all that. All you're doing is activating yourself. And so some people just use that as a, uh, a, uh, a time to um, say, well, you know what? I've, I'm always complaining. I don't really have time to meditate. Maybe since I'm up now, I might as well lie here and meditate or uh, maybe think about something that's a little bit more mentally exhausting. So, for example, um, I was mentioning, you know, this morning I read uh, something on epigenetics or, or whatever. If I can, before I go to sleep, also read something that's a little harder to understand. Actually, if I get good quality sleep, I'll consolidate those memories more efficiently. Now, if I wake up in the middle of the night, I might then remind myself, what was it I was trying to learn? And I keep going over it and over it, which is, you know, repeating, uh, so to speak. And actually, I can even bore myself back to sleep <laughs> and also consolidate those memories. So, so we're really talking about learning, which is actually another one of the seeds elements. Shall we go into that? So education. Please. So it turns out that if you're not learning something new on a regular basis, you're not building the not only the cognitive infrastructure, but the support, the biophysiological infrastructure for brain connectivity. And so let me just use aging as an example. We know that people that uh, are more learned later in life, and I don't necessarily mean more fancy degrees, but that's certainly a way to structure your learning. But just constantly learning on a regular basis, are gonna develop dementia-like symptoms later than others. Now, why would that be the case? They may still lose a lot of neurons and connectivity and all that, but they have more to lose. So they don't look like they're losing as much. We also call that cognitive reserve. In other words, there's more there, more connectivity, so that if you do lose, you're not going to look like you're losing as much and you have more to work with. But there's another aspect that's actually a very strong mental health aspect to it. And that is that if you're constantly learning on a regular basis, you're not thinking about the petty nonsense that exists in all of our lives. If you're not focusing on expanding your uh, appreciation on multiple levels, 
of your world that you live in and, and so on, you're thinking about the petty nonsense in your life. You're looking in the rearview mirror and you're ruminating. So you could say that education and learning is an antidepressant, is an anti-anxiety agent because you're building in a much more complex understanding of the world around you and you're far more nimble <clears throat> as a result. In other words, you're not going to revert to a negativism as much because we have a tendency to do that. That's the default for everybody. It's the easiest thing to do. But if you have more cognitive infrastructure in there because you're learning on a regular basis, you're not going to be doing that. So just going back to uh, sleep for a moment, and this is something that uh, I'm absolutely obsessed with, um, from tracking my sleep, uh, core body temperature, heart rate variability, my stages of sleep throughout the night. I tweak and play around with. Could I uh, note something, though? When you say you're obsessed with it, uh, one thing that, uh, and I know I'm, I'm taking liberty with this because I'm sure that uh, you're not obsessed with it in a, in a negative sense because you're, you're somebody that's studying it. So I'm going to use a different term and you're saying in a sense you're studying it rather than obsessed with it. However, what if you were a person that was obsessed with it? Actually, your sleep would be uh, uh, of lesser quality. Uh, and so what we need to do in many ways is to, and that's part of the CBT for sleep hygiene a technique when I was talking about uh, negative sleep thoughts and all that. Yes, there is no question that if you get uh, less good quality sleep, you know, the standard, what, seven, eight hours or whatever, depending, and there's a big debate about that. But generally speaking, roughly about seven, give it or take a, uh, you know, half hour here or there. But certainly under six, you're you're really in bad shape. <laughs> but um, if you uh, say to yourself throughout the day, oh, my God, I've had a terrible night's sleep. I'm going to be ruined for the rest of the day and all that. And then you create some anxiety the next night about it. This is going to be another night just like last night. You know, I just don't. Oh, my God. And then, you know, a person that's in that <clears throat> you could call it a negative spiral actually creates a self-fulfilling negative prophecy, you know, that, that uh, their prophecy that they're getting bad sleep and their cognition and, and all that gets all wrapped up in um, a negative outcome. And that is not only do they feel terrible the next day, but also they get ba very bad sleep. And then they revert to these sleep aids. And so it's it turns out that if you have a lighter attitude about it, Lex fixated about it, you actually do get better sleep. Same with anxiety, by the way, if I can use that as a metaphor. More people uh, that focus on having no anxiety tend to have more anxiety. In other words, if you're really concerned about having any anxiety, then you're going to have more anxiety. And you know what? Having no anxiety is also called as death. <laughs> so you don't want to have no anxiety. <laughs> And so anyway, I uh, just want to throw that in there. But the whole concept of as soon as you try real, real hard not to have uh, the uh, deficits related to having a terrible night's sleep, you're going to have some deficits later that night in getting to sleep. Mm -hmm. 
And, and I certainly don't want to, I've said this many times before, I certainly don't want to give the impression that, uh, you know, the, the things that I talk about and the things that I do are things that, you know, people that just want to improve the quality of their sleep and their life uh, need to do. I'm after that top one to 2%. So I don't want to give the impression to anybody that, you know, you need to be doing things like um, tracking all of the things that, that I track and that um, even some of the other guests that I have on the show do some pretty crazy stuff to really get that last bit of optimization because uh, I've got the basics covered. And I think that's the most important thing is getting the, the fundamentals down uh, and, and it's one of the things just looking at uh, the data that I've collected recently in this study is that the things that you were talking about, the, let's call it the mindset on sleep, can in some cases have much more of a, an effect Absolutely. on sleep quality than even things like the caffeine late in the day and the alcohol. Exactly. And now let's get to the other uh, of the five factors. Not only... Um, are we um, incredibly complicated species, uh, but we are the species that spend the greatest amount of time with our principal caregivers. Uh, we're born totally defensive, uh, defenseless. A horse or a colt is born, they're walking around right away. You know, certainly they're, they're dependent on their mothers, uh, the, the mares and so on. But we spend uh, an inordinate amount of time absorbing the connectivity. Now, it turns out that um, not having good quality social relationships throughout your life is a major uh, cost to your moods and your cognition. And remember, I was talking about the length of the telomeres. The telomeres are the caps and the ends of your chromosomes. In the field called social neuroscience, it's been demonstrated that people that have bad relationships or no relationships actually shrink their telomeres. In other words, they're rendering their DNA um, uh, vulnerable to uh, mutations and, and so on. So what are we talking about with regard to social interactions? We're talking about the capacity for reciprocity. So the capacity to feel connected with one another rather than it's all about me or all about you. Those aren't good quality relationships. Those are imbalanced or narcissistic or codependent relationships. What I'm talking about really is mutual interdependence, the feeling of empathy for one another, the feeling of uh, uh, not only uh, that I'm cared for, but that I can care for another person. Because if you can express empathy, but expressing empathy, you could also call action-oriented empathy, which is compassion. It is an antidepressant. You're activating areas of your brain that gives you the capacity for feeling good about yourself. So the areas of the brain, if you don't mind me just getting a little technical, these areas called the insula and the anterior cingulate, very important uh, for the capacity to feel felt. And if I can feel concerned for you, I also feel concerned for myself. So when I'm doing something good for somebody else, it's not to get brownie points. In fact, if you can do it and not get any credit for it, you get better benefit by it. In other words, you're doing something compassionate for another person and they may not even know it. And in fact, you get a better benefit of that. 
So that's true compassion. And what's the better benefit? You feel better about yourself, not that you're so powerful and you can help other people, but the whole capacity of connectivity, the whole capacity of feeling uh, of concern for other people is an antidepressant. And it turns out it creates all sorts of ripple effects through all these social brain networks, some of which I was talking about earlier couple of the other ones we call spindle cells and big discussion about mirror neurons and a number of other ones uh, that are, are critical. So social uh, uh, fix, you could say social medicine, fundamental to the seeds elements. So again, what are the five elements? Social, exercise, education, diet, and sleep. And you've got to do it on a daily basis. And that's why I've come up with this seeds log that I give to people. In fact, I can send to you, Ramon, and you can make it available to you, you know, your listeners and the podcast. And some um, some colleagues and I are making an app, in fact, uh, to monitor your seeds uh, on a regular basis, too. And I could once we get that all worked out, I could uh, send it to you if you if you like as well. So those five factors, we could call that the foundation for mental and physical health. It's uh, so important that you think in terms of uh, beyond just the brain, we're also talking about the immune system and gene expression. So these five factors are fundamental at all levels of your body and your brain and your mind. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So as we're coming to the end of the show, I'd love for you to talk about your new book, Mind, Brain, Gene. And listeners, if you're a coach, a therapist, or even more generally, if you're in the business of helping other people, this is something that you're really going to want to pay attention to. Okay. In, in my new uh, uh, book, Mind, Brain, Gene, um, what I'm uh, uh, trying to do uh, is to uh, discuss this major change that's occurring in healthcare. I'm not talking about necessarily mental health care exclusive of physical health care. In fact, what we're now seeing is there is a major intersection in the 21st century, whereby this new area of medicine, which is called targeted medicine, precision med- uh, medicine, is uh, conversant in this more mind-body mental health area that we can also call integrated mental health. So this intersection includes these areas of research, which have technical terms, but I'm going to try to uh, deconstruct them. One is called epigenetics. And we used to think that, uh, you know, genes are your destiny. And we actually know now that you're turning on and off your genes by your lifestyle. And so uh, epigenetics is this new, incredibly exciting field of how genes get expressed and suppressed and your lifestyle, whether or not you're practicing the seeds elements are fundamental to gene expression. And then also this other field we call psychoneuroimmunology, fancy way of saying the interaction between the mind, brain, and immune system is fundamental to mental health as well, um, as evidenced by um, this pandemic that I was talking about earlier with regard to chronic inflammation. That's inappropriate activation of the immune system that activates chronic inflammation that uh, makes a person dysphoric and having this overall sickness behavior and everything. So the interaction between the mind, the brain, and the immune system is really uh, uh, a major part of this new book, Mind, Brain, Gene. But also 
critically important are the dynamics related to how we interact with one another. So I have a whole chapter, of course, on attachment, adult attachment, child attachment, what happens with abuse and, and neglect, and, and how can we as healthcare professionals intervene with people who are depressed, anxious, uh, and perhaps they even experience some trauma. What do we do with them? We've got to be thinking in a larger uh, a way than we have in the past. So sure, the brain is important, but the immune system is critically important and your gene expression is critically important. The fabric of society is critically important, what culture and belief systems we're working with. So you could say in many ways, uh, the, the book is an attempt to address the healthcare in the 21st century. Right. Uh, where can people go to find out more? Oh, how about my website, the um, drjohnarden.com. It's just uh, D-R-J-O-H-N-A-R-D-E-N.com. So drjohnarden.com. John, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. I know that our listeners are going to get so much out of this, whether they're just starting out in their uh, brain health and uh, wanting to improve their life through just moving their body and their diet and other things of that nature, or for people in the helping professions. Uh, you definitely want to check out this book. Uh, it's an incredible resource, and if you're a super nerd like me, you are really going to get a lot out of the, the neuroscience as well as the practical application as well. So, John, thanks very much for being on the show. Oh, I, I enjoyed it very much. So that's it for this episode. If you want to support the show, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, drop a five-star review, and of course, you can connect with me on social with the links in the description. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you soon.